Hello everyone, thank you so much for being here with me tonight. We're gonna have an incredible episode. I am recording this before Tuesday, which are the elections in the United States, so perhaps that's commanding the news cycle, but there's something I really wanna talk to you about. And it comes to you courtesy of, well, from the insiders at my website, Peak Prosperity. Peakprosperity.com, that's where you can always find me and my work and as well, an incredible thriving community. So there, a couple times a week at least, I'm putting more content. So if you like this content, you really should consider becoming a subscriber over there. Supports me, my team, the work I do, and you get access to information like this. This is what we were talking about last week was this, the financial doom loop has been activated, the fuse has been lit, we gotta talk about what this is. Very few politicians actually talking about this, you know how they are. They're gonna talk about things that fundamentally have very little meaning to you or I at the end of the day. Why do I wanna keep talking about the economy, energy, environment, things like that, things that are found, hey, in this book, The Crash Course, which has uh, just been updated and is coming out soon. More on that in just a minute. Why do I keep talking about those things? Because as damaging as COVID was in terms of really you know, harming a lot of people, the response is harming even more people. As bad as that was, the financial collapse or financial doom that could happen if we're not careful is gonna hurt a lot more people. You, me, everybody. This is the kind of thing, nobody's hoping for this to happen because when it does, there will be no joy in Mudville for being right. Uh, this, no, there's no points for being right in this story. There's, a, there's points for avoiding it. There's still a little bit of time, but first we have to make sure that our leaders are not making the same mistakes, but they probably are gonna. So guess what? You and I are gonna have to get ready for it. This is the beginning of the doom loop right here. This is the fuse. We are looking here at federal government, United States federal government, current expenditures just on interest payments. This is just interest payments. So they borrow all this debt and then they have to pay interest on it. And because the Fed is now hiking interest rates, there's a huge pile of debt outstanding. And so the interest payments are now for 2022, they annualize out at $736 billion for the year. That's an extraordinary amount. That is just, 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 just slightly under total defense spending. And this is a non-avoidable payment. You can't skip your interest payments because if you do, the whole thing breaks. So why is this part of a doom loop? Because it works like this. First, notice too that this wasn't just that, you know, hey, yeah, interest payments are really spiking, but you know, they've gone up in the past. Let's compare this to the times in the past. This is looking at the year over year change in interest payments. So far here in Q3 of 2022, these interest payments are up 24.2% over last year. So imagine you had, you know, your, what if your mortgage costs were up 24.2% compared to last year? What if your credit card payments were 24.2% higher just for the interest component than last year? This is a huge number. It's obviously unsustainable. If Japan was facing a number even close to that, to the current rate of interest in the United States, they would hit what's called the financial doom loop even faster. That's where the interest payments beget more interest payments. And I'm gonna show you that cycle right now. It's a pretty big deal. This is a very negative positive feedback loop works like this. So this is a positive feedback loop in the sense that it feeds on itself, but it's a negative one because it's not a good one in terms of how it works out. So interest costs rise. You are here in this story. That's what that prior chart was showing. Interest costs are now rising. But guess what? The government operates in a deficit. So that means as interest costs rise, they're gonna have to 
undertake more borrowing and they're gonna have to borrow money just so they can make the interest payments. Well, what happens when you borrow more and you spend more just so you can make your interest rates go up? Well, your interest expenses go up even more, right? Because you now have more debt on the books. But as you're doing more borrowing, typically interest rates are also gonna rise in that environment, right? So people need more compensation because you're borrowing more. It's just how it is. So as more borrowing goes up, interest expenses rise for two reasons. One, more debt. Two, the rate of interest is gonna go up. And as interest expenses rise, well, that just leads to more borrowing. And now that we have more borrowing, what happens next? Well, uh, you have higher interest expenses, which leads to, well, more borrowing. This is the doom loop. There comes a point in time when a government can't possibly pay back what it's, the interest on its own debt by borrowing more. And that's when the doom loop goes into hyperdrive. It's an exponential function. It's like, it's like how Hemingway went broke slowly, then all at once. If you understand exponential functions though, you will understand why this doom loop gets activated, why it has a turn the corner phase, why it has a whole long slow stretch, and then it has a very, very rapid stretch. That's the period of time we're entering, that rapid phase. These exponential functions now are working well against us. And by the way, they operate really fast. We're humans. Humans don't understand intuitively exponential functions, so they have a way of outpacing bureaucratic committees and sclerotic institutions and slow political processes and cultural baggage and all that. These things have a way of getting away from you quick. So that's where we are. We've activated the doom loop and it all starts with this chart. Look at, look at what's going on up here. Look at this. Look at that spike right there, right there at the end. This is astonishing. And this is going to go up more. And I'm going to tell you why right now. So this has just been activated and it gets out pretty quick from here. Now, this, I mentioned a couple concepts, one called exponential growth, also how money is created and how economy, energy, environment come together. This is the book, The Crash Course. Here's the first edition of it. This is a revised edition. It's being published by Wiley and it's coming out February, 2023. Uh, 2023. If you could help me out by pre-ordering it, if we could get on the bestseller list, that will help get the word out to more people. Why? Because um, that's just how the system works. So quick request there, if you could help out there, that'd be awesome. You'll like it, you'll learn from it. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll renew your passport. Uh, whoops, look at this, the White House tweeted out, seniors are getting the biggest increase in their social security checks in 10 years through President Biden's leadership. That's when I actually got fact checked by, by Twitter itself, which is pretty bad for the White House to get fact checked by Twitter. Uh, and the reason is, is this is a really, really inept statement to make. First, um, well, let's go there. First, here's the context. In yellow up top, seniors will receive a large social security benefit increase due to the annual cost of living adjustment, the COLA adjustment, which is based on the inflation rate. President Nixon in 1972 signed into law automatic benefit adjustments tied to the COLA, the consumer price index, those COLA increases. So, and that tweet got deleted, but not before it got 23,000 likes by people like, yeah, strong leadership from Biden. That's awesome. Um, and uh, so know that, <laughs> second thing is the reason uh, seniors are getting COLA adjustments that are this large is because inflation is that high. So to first 
being inept and not knowing about that these are automatic coal adjustments. And second, trying to take credit for these large increases because that's going to make you look good is really tone deaf or economically illiterate. So that's what we're trying to do here is increase the economic literacy because uh, whoever tweeted this stuff out didn't know their stuff, not even slightly. Um, embarrassing uh, indictment of the United States education system on that prior tweet. So now this is a really big deal because Social Security is now an outflow to the U.S. government. It used to be an inflow. What do I mean by that? When you, if you're a U.S. citizen, you have a paycheck, you get a W-2 stub, right? You're looking at your paycheck and there's little boxes in there. One's called FICA, right? And so that FICA is a tax that's taken out. The way it was set up a long time ago was that there were always more people paying in than there was money coming out. So a, an accumulation of funding was landing in the Social Security Trust Fund. 1988, that all got changed under the beautiful, brilliant leadership and wisdom of Alan Greenspan. He weighed in and opined that maybe it wouldn't be a bad thing for the U.S. government to take all that cash sitting there in the Social Security Trust Fund and spend it. Oh, but, but they're replacing it with special treasury bonds. <laughs> That's, that's like me having two bank accounts and I take one bank account and I move it into the other one, put an IOU from this first bank account in here, spend all that, and then claim this as an asset because it's got IOUs in it. it it's junk. Uh, so what happened was the U.S. government has been raiding the Social Security Trust Fund as a piggy bank, replacing it with special bonds. But what happens when the Social Security Trust Fund needs to dip into those bonds? Who does it redeem them to? Not to the public. It has to sell them back to the Treasury. So the Treasury Department then has to find cash and replace that. So the Treasury's, <clears throat> U.S. Treasury is on the hook for the entire balance of the Social Security Trust Fund. And it's a big number. It's like six plus trillion dollars. Okay. So looking here, in the 2021 report, I got this from SSA.gov. So this is all official statistics. You know, I like to roll with the best data I can get. And so look here. Come down to, let me get my drawing tool out because that makes this all just easier to explain. So if we look here, the income, total income in 2021 was 1118. So that's $1.118 trillion. And then they had to pay out to Social Security and um, they had taxes and benefits, they had a little interest here. Um, they had, all this income was coming in. Um, so they, the social security contributions, that's the FICA box income on taxes on benefits interest. But then they had the outgo, which was one, one Oh seven of which one, one Oh one was paying out benefits and 6 billion was to administration. And, but 2021, that all summed up to be a positive 11 billion in extra cash that then the U S government rated, put in the general obligation fund spent and replaced with treasury, special treasury bonds. Let's look at 2022, do the same exercise first. Um, total income was 1088. So it's down 100 billion. That's not a good start. Um, I mean, sorry, uh, 30 billion down, not a good start there. And it's uh, social security contributions were the lion's share of that being down. And the outflows were actually higher than the year before at 1145, leading to a total deficit of $56 billion which means that if you took $56 billion, subtracted it from the trust fund reserves here, you would find that number there. Here's the point. The trust fund, this is the, the tide has been coming in and in and in and in since 1988. 
This Social Security Trust Fund has always been a net cash benefit to the United States government. That helps make the deficit lower. Because the way the U.S. government tracks the deficit, they're doing a cash basis deficit, not an accrual basis deficit. So, complicated stuff, but it doesn't matter. Now that that tide has gone in, the slack tide has happened, and now the tide is going back out. From this point forward, it looks like, unless the laws get changed, either on raising Social Security taxes or lowering benefit payments, if, unless one of those two things happens, from this point forward, Social Security is going to be a net drain on the cash position of the U.S. government, making its deficit larger, meaning that it's going to have to borrow more. As it borrows more, well, we'll get through that part of the story because it, it ties back into Social Security uh, in, in really unkind ways. So I took a look. I went to their website. I downloaded all of the um, Social Security uh, data I could, and it turns out that here's a chart that shows over the last 10 years, Social Security excess contributions have added just a little over $2 trillion to U.S. government coffers. That's $2 trillion where the government didn't have to raise taxes, didn't have to borrow it, made everybody look happy, and that's how it's been. Now, anytime this chart is trundling downward, that means it's adding to government coffers, but there have been times here and there where it's subtracted a little bit. So you can see there's kind of a periodicity to it. It tends to happen at a certain time of the year. So there's little stuff going on here, but it's just about to start this. It's going to start subtracting in a big and sustained way. In fact, if we just look here at just the last month or so, we can see here, this means that Social Security, if it's a positive number, had more funds coming into it. So that's a positive cash flow to the U.S. government. But if it's a negative number, then that means like this one, minus 52.5 billion, that was an outflow. So you can see these tend to happen around the first of the month when they have big benefit payments that have to go out. You add all this up and you start seeing, we're seeing more and more and more negative numbers are starting to sneak into this series here. So that's how we would detect this. So now what do we have? Well, we have a pretty big outflow going and it's about to get supercharged. This is why I say the fuse has been lit on the, on the, uh, this uh, debt bomb here. And here's the reason why. COLA adjustments for 2023, they're going to increase 8.7% in 2023. So that starts in January, except for people who are on disability. Those start on December 30th of 2022. That's the fuse. All of a sudden, remember I said, you know, the slack tide is starting to go out a little. Well, now that, that tide is really going to start to race out because this is an 8.7% afterburner on payments leaving the trust fund starting in January of 2023. So that's kind of where I'm saying, you know, that that's where really this thing kicks into much, much higher gear. And we know that the Federal Reserve is going to be in the business of raising rates at least up through that point in time. So I don't see any relief in this story. Spoiler alert, U.S. government is going to be borrowing more and more and more, and that will only create more pressure on interest rates as we go. So this is the mega doom loop. Now we, it's like the other one we did, but we're going to have to add one new component to it. So if we start up here, we're saying interest costs rise, and that leads to more borrowing and, of course, spending. That means inflation is going to get goosed a little bit because inflation really gets goosed by the government borrowing and spending like no other, which means COLA adjustments continue to go up which means Social Security becomes is now a net drain, but that really gets on afterburners as this part of the process begins to take hold. And then that leads to even more borrowing, which means interest costs rise, 
which leads to this and so on. And that's, that is the doom loop right there. That's the mega doom loop. This is how this thing works. This is what's been activated, and I can't find anything in the numbers to suggest that there's any way out of this. The only possible way out of this for the U.S. government is to break promises. So this is why Social Security people are like, oh, you know, this is going to sink the ship, Chris. Not necessarily because it's by any act of law, we can change it. Hey, benefit payments are cut in half. Hey, we're going to make people pay in twice as much. Rule changes. When the going gets tough, they change the rules. They'll never sit down and say, hey, I would like to plead for amnesty. Our fault. We're sorry. We shouldn't have managed it that way in the past. This was completely mathematically, obviously, a stupid thing to do. But we did it anyway. But now we're the right people to lead you forward. So that's why you should trust us when we're going to double your taxes on this stuff and cut your benefits in half or whatever they're going to need to do because this thing is really broken. Now, it's against this backdrop that we look at all the things the U.S. government is just throwing money at and spending money at like crazy, like foreign wars and other things like that with with barely a second thought. This is all going to suddenly become a really big, big deal. Now, for boomers who are listening out there, This is our generation screwing the pooch on this story. This is leaving behind a ruined financial and economic landscape for the people who are going to follow. This is not a good look. This is not a good situation. This is really bad. For people who are younger growing up into this, you're going to be saddled with an extraordinary fiscal mess. And you should be asking, well, what'd you borrow all that money for and what do we have to show for it? We have some great pyramids of chaos. Do we have an interconnected high-speed rail line that can get me across the country without spilling a glass, uh, a drop from a glass of wine? Do we have, uh, you know, a, a farming system that makes a lot of sense? Do we have a lot more happiness and joy? What do we get for all that expenditures that seemingly um, never had any end? Well, listen, the, go- the U.S. government and several generations have been in the business now thinking, well, you know, we don't, we can do it all. We'll just throw money at a pointless war. We'll, um, you know, as many as, as necessary. And we would like to cut taxes, especially for corporations and the wealthy. And we would like to, you know, uh, give money away to various special interest groups. And, you know, we'll do all of those things at once. We're going to get to a point where we can't. Or we risk destroying the currency system involved. So that's difficult. We don't really have the muscle memory for that. That's why this election and the future elections actually kind of do matter, because if we don't get people in who fundamentally understand that we have to prioritize now, we can't have one of everything and put it on the credit card, right? That's just immature, it's weak, and it ruins things for people who had no hand in that ruination who are coming behind us, right? So, hey, we're going to have to man up, woman up, and figure out how to actually deal with this. I know it'll be unpleasant because guess what? Everybody loves a free lunch, and we all would like to get one of everything for free. But that's not the world we live in. It's not how these things actually work. So this mega doom loop has been activated, and it's that COLA adjustment, 8.7%. I've never seen one that large in my adult lifetime. That's a big, big moment, and it activates in January. Now, it doesn't blow it up right away. I say it lit the fuse. Because it's going to take time for that 8.7% to turn into 9% the year after that or whatever the numbers are as we start to activate this thing. But it could get away from us a lot more quickly if what I think is about to happen in the energy space, particularly around oil, is about, well, it's going to happen soon. So that's what part two of this whole thing is about, and we'll get to that in just a second. Now, how does this loop get even worse than we think? So the Congressional Budget Office, the CBO, they do... Listen, they've got a really tough job. 
they have to comb through all the legislation that's been passed, like the Inflation Reduction Act or any other piece of legislation and make their best guesses about how much does this add to or subtract from the deficit? And of course, really complicated, sort of very dependent calculations that you, you know, dependencies related calculations where you have to make a lot of sort of guesses and if then. So, so they have a hard job. And second of all, uh, making predictions is difficult, especially about the future, as Yogi Berra would say. So, so I'm not here to, to bang on the CBO, but I'm here to tell you that, that the point of view that they put forward, that all of Washington is operating from, is a framework that can't possibly be true. It, it just can't. And, and here's why. It's already provably false. So this is a, a set of projections they put together in May of 2022. That's the most recent one I could find. And this is looking at uh, the overall deficit that's happening as a percent of gross domestic product, percent of GDP. And you can see it ranges from maybe a high of five to ooh, low of minus 15. That, that was a bad moment right there. So the deficit was really, really, really high. This is what led to all the inflation when the U.S. government ran a 15% deficit compared to GDP of surplus spending. That was just economies down, spending is up, where inflation comes from. So at any rate, looking forward, their projection is, though, that things don't really get any better. We're still stuck here somewhere between 5 and maybe 7% of GDP, which are big numbers. These are big, big numbers. Let's make sense of them if we can. So here we're looking at the percentage of gross domestic product for federal debt held by the public. This is the federal debt. This doesn't include the Social Security debt. I think it ought to because they exclude it kind of like on the sense that, like, well, yeah, but that's got debt that government owes to itself. Like, dude, that is totally on your balance sheet. So it's your debt. It doesn't belong to anybody else. Like, who's going to pay off that debt? Taxpayers. Who else pays off the federal debt held by the public? Taxpayers, same party. So I don't know why they exclude it. But even with that, this is not a good story. Look at their projections going forward. Look at this debt to GDP. It's just like, this is World War II right here, right? Ready to scream right past that. And of course, back in World War II, they didn't have this crazy stuff where they had debt held by the public in a secret rating of the Social Security piggy bank that they failed to account for. So this isn't really apples to apples in this story. But even still, looking at that, this assumption by the CBO, like this is actually a very generous assumption they've made. This is the best case scenario. So I don't even call it base case. This is kind of like best case. Why is it best case? All right, gets a little wonky, but I'm going to go through this. This is, their, this is their table that they use to generate these charts in Excel. And you can see all the way on the, on the far side over there, we've got um, fiscal year going from 2022 down to 2052. So we've got 30 years of projections here. And all of these things, except for this column right here, are expressed in percent of GDP. So when we see something like 19.6 here, they're saying revenues they expect in 2022 to be about, about 20% of total GDP. So in there, we have this non-interest spending, which is stuff you can't do anything about mostly. Social Security locked in by law, Medicare locked in by law, Medicaid locked in by law. Other is everything else, which includes, you know, uh, all the various departments and Department of Defense. And so this is total non-interest spending here is at 21.9% of GDP, but hang on. They're only taking in 19.6% of GDP. So already just locked in, this is all locked in spending pretty much. We're already in a deficit situation. So total spending after we put net interest expenditure in there, which is very much non-discretionary, 
Now we're at 23.5% of GDP compared to 196 coming in. So there's already this massive gap of almost 4%. So that's deficit spending. And when the government deficit spends like that, it drives inflation. Guaranteed, it's how it works. Now, let me collapse this so we can see it just a little bit easier. Same things, but I took all those, all these, all these yellow charts and I just collapsed them into a single, into a single column. This is where it gets really, really, really interesting. So I also added another chart here to ask the question, another row here, column, um, how much GDP growth are they assuming for all of these fancy numbers to, to work out? So look at GDP. It goes from 24.7 trillion and climbs and just goes up by basically three and a half percent a year. You can just see how they built their model. <laughs> like very fancy numbers, 71,970. How'd they get there? Well, they just kept multiplying the prior number by, by this column over here. Um, and so they're saying for everything to work out and stay balanced, GDP in the United States is basically gonna go from 25 trillion to 75 trillion rounding. It's gonna triple. It's gonna get three times as large. 75 trillion, that's basically how big the world economy was a couple years ago, right? And the United States is gonna have that economy all on its own without punishing inflation. It's crazy, what's gonna drive that growth? This is where you'd have to understand the energy story and that energy is actually the true driver of economic activity and that there is no story that says that level of, act of energy actually exists. Hey, if we were building thorium reactors with all due haste right now, if we were, busy figuring out how to build buildings that were net zero. If we were busy figuring out how to save energy and create new energy out of new forms, more nuclear, big mix of things, maybe I'd think differently. We don't have that going on. In fact, if you read Crash Course, I put the numbers out there, is, and if you've watched my channel, you've seen, we don't even have the copper or the lithium to pull that off. So where's the energy gonna come from? Huge story about what's not gonna happen for United States oil production and also global oil production over the same time frame that the CBO is busy saying, ah, we're just gonna we're just gonna assume this really nice, beautiful growth. What happens if that growth doesn't materialize? Well, then other things blow up, blow out. All their projections go to crap. So, uh, kind of interesting that here in 2023 they're assuming 6.3 percent GDP growth. Uh, I'll take the under on that bet, Las Vegas, um, and. Here, notice too that revenues minus total spending. Again, what they do is they just calculate what are the laws that are on the books? How, does, how do they come together? Based on what we know, based on actuarial tables, you know, what is social security gonna be giving versus taking? All of that, they put it into this model and look at this, revenues minus total spending is at almost 4% of GDP, then it's at 3.7, but thereafter it only climbs. This is how it, pencils out so that by 2052, we're just like 10%. We're just deficit spending by 10% year after year after year. This is going to destroy the currency. It won't happen. We won't get that level of growth. And by the way, those numbers are in that purple column are probably locked in in terms of the spending side. But I think the revenue side is not going to be there because again, we don't have the engines or drivers for this economic growth. Economic growth everywhere and always is a derivative of energy, surplus energy. We don't have that surplus energy. It's such an obvious story. I don't know why more people aren't talking about this. Couldn't be more clear, but what happens if this doesn't come to pass? What happens if the expenditures are all locked in because we got Medicare, we got older people, we got Medicaid, 
we have all that stuff we want to keep spending on defense, whatever it is we think we want to do in our country, we're going to keep doing that stuff. But what happens if we can't get that growth right there? <clears throat> all right, not going to happen. So things are going to blow up. Now, the I could calculate, I could just multiply a couple of these rows and columns by each other and derive that, in fact, the interest expense that they were assuming as of May of 2022 is now contained in this column over here. And look for 2022, as of May, the CBO's best data said that the United States was going to be experiencing around $399 billion of interest expense, 442 in 2023, 525 in 2024, 604 in 2025, and 681 in 2026. And we're already at a run rate of 7.36 here in 2022 isn't even up. So obviously their model is now blown out of the water. By what? By real world circumstances, by stuff that cropped up, that came up. So two things are now happening in this doom loop that got activated and it was, it activated so rapidly and so quickly that the Congressional Budget Office is caught flat footed, even though they just put this model together and released it in May of 2022. That's how fast these things can turn on you. Welcome to the world of exponential functions. We've turned the corner. The Federal Reserve is now raising rates. Ah, we have this giant mountain of, of debt standing out there. It's going to kill interest costs. But don't ever, ever forget that what happens is when the doom loop gets activated, more interest costs leads to more borrowing, which leads to higher inflation, which leads to higher COLA adjustments, which leads to more borrowing. And it just goes, wee. That's the world we're in. And all of this gets lit and starts taking off in January. But it's already speeding up. This is total federal he he debt held by the public. And you can see here, this line right here is tracking how it was from 2014. It was kind of accumulating at a fairly even pace. And then, oh, COVID and all the lies around that happened. And now this is the new pace. I haven't done anything fancy. I just took samples from each of these two lines and put them next to each other. So you can see there was an old rate and now there's a new rate. And the new rate is how everybody in DC and all the politicians of every stripe just know how the world works. We'll just keep borrowing at that rate. That's a fun, a more fun rate to borrow at. We have more money to play with. We don't have to tax people quite as much. So, so that new rate is now enshrined. This is part of the doom loop. Remember, more borrowing begets more borrowing ultimately. And so it's going to go faster and faster and faster. In fact, you know, what's the prediction? Is that red line where we're going to see it next? Are we going to be adding, you know, a trillion dollars of new borrowing a quarter? you know, every week, right? This is that doom loop. It goes up very, very fast unless you bite the bullet. Now, when they bite the bullet, what that means is they're going to actually have to create austerity. You either let this thing run away, and now we're talking Zimbabwe, Venezuela, you know, Yugoslavia in the 90s. We're talking runaway hyperinflation. That's on, that's one side of the, the story. What's your other side? Well, you actually have to go for this punishing deflationary outcome. You actually have to rein spending back in, and that creates a lot of economic misery. So do you want people and their savings to be destroyed by inflation, or do you want them to lose their jobs and, and you know, go down that path? That's the place we're at right now. No good decisions left to be made. The Federal Reserve, they screwed this pooch starting back in 1987 with a key critical mistake Alan Greenspan made. Everybody bought it. They made another set of mistakes in the early 90s, then in 95 again, then 1998, then 2001, 2007, then 8, then 11, then 2013, then 19, and here we are. Biggest mistakes ever in 2020. So this has been a long series of very bad mistakes that honestly 
We should have had adult-sized conversations around a long time ago, but we didn't. And so here we are. Now, um, so now it begins to make sense. So I don't read German, but I took the translation of that from Christian Linder. He's the German finance minister. He just called central bank digital currencies or CBDCs digital cash, he said, and praised their ability to be a growth engine for the economy. No mention of their ability to crush dissent, political dissent, and destroy privacy. We all knew this was coming, right? This is where this has always been leading. The story I just told you about that doom loop, there is no way to fix that. Like I said, do you want this sort of pain or that sort of pain? When you're caught in that sort of a bind, what do you do? I think you do whatever you can. And survival in this story, especially for Team Elite and all the big bankers and the central bankers, I think looks like, Kind of need a great reset. You kind of, you know, you can't just say, ah, you know, we did bad and we made a couple of people really rich and we selected winners and losers and we threw an entire generation under the bus. Whoops, our bad, you know, and we kind of preserved our own hides in our generation. You know, that's an awkward story. So instead of saying that straight up, we're being led down a path which is going to hurt us into this whole CBDC sort of a world, central bank digital currency. I mean, well, what's the problem with that? You know, I got digital money, right? I mean, I got... I never see the cash in my credit card, but here's the thing. We saw the playbook on this thing and we saw them practicing some things. Do you remember? I've got them cursed with this memory thing. You remember this? There were some Canadians who didn't like the lockdowns. They understood that they were illegal, unauthorized, and they represented an unconstitutional set of actions and grabs for power by the leadership of the Trudeau government. So they decided to protest that perfectly within their constitutional rights. Even more within constitutional rights was for people to send 25, 50 bucks or whatever to support that movement as these truckers took time off of their lives and out of their normal routes in order to put this protest together so they could put up bouncy castles in Ottawa, right? Maybe honk a couple times. Now, when they did that, it turned out that the, the government of Canada went in and locked or froze people's bank accounts. Never apologized for it. The big banks went along with it right away. I'm looking at you, Royal Bank. I'm looking at you, Toronto Dominion, right? These banks went along with it. Just said, oh, yeah, it's a law, right? It's, it's an emergency. It's COVID, right? And then they did that. So that was a test run. They always, they always have a test run for these things. The central bank digital currency is fundamentally about a currency that they could geo-ring fence you by saying that, hey, you're kind of a troublemaker, you can still spend your money, but it's no good more than five miles from your house. Or you can use it, but not to buy airplane tickets to those countries. You can only do it here and you get to, you have to fly coach. They, they could put literally whatever restrictions they want. They can control what you eat, how often, where your money goes, enforce savings. They can give you negative interest rates if they want to incentivize you in another way. The possibilities are endless. And... The old system is, is kind of broken. So what are you going to do with that, right? So if the old system needs a reset, it's unpayable. It has debts that can't possibly be paid. What do you do? Well, you make an argument for a, a central bank digital currency, potentially. And uh, Catherine Austin Fitz said, CBDC, it's not a currency. That's what you need to understand. What we're talking about is a control system that is going to be implemented in a global coup d'etat. And we're in the middle of a global coup d'etat. That is what's happening right now. End quote. Can't disagree. It seems entirely possible. So we're seeing the CBDC stuff come out. We're seeing that the new uh, Sunak, the, the new prime minister of the UK, 
very, very much a, a giant fan of the central bank digital currencies. And you can just feel it, right? It's, it's coming. But it's in large measure going to be spurred on by the idea that that doom loop I talked about, that's already been ignited. And there's nothing that can be done about that. When you look at the CB, like this should be the most scary chart right here. This one, this graph, table. When you look at that purple line right there and you see that, the, that as things are configured, there's no way out of that. There is just not a single way out of that that's not politically gigantically painful and or you know, ruinous to a country's finances. But that's the plan. So that's where we're at. So what do you do if your plan is clearly, obviously, mathematically flawed and ruinous? It's a good question. So we're going to explore more of that question here in part two. I've cheekily titled part two here for my subscribers. Repent, the end is near. I think everything does change after the U.S. midterm elections. So we're going to have to talk about that. Oil and gas prices are set to explode higher. We are going to have a more fractured country here in the United States, no matter which way it goes in world, I believe, in Europe bends under this strain and maybe breaks. So a lot going on. We're going to talk about all of that in part two. But for now, I needed you to know about this financial doom loop. It's coming. And the way you protect yourself is by making sure that you don't have all your wealth eggs caught up in a currency basket or in a set of paper products that are tied to that same doom loop. You got to be very careful. You need really good financial advice. Make sure that you thought this through. Be super diversified and understand, of course, that having some of that wealth that you've stored up over here in the real world is the right way to go. And by that, I mean hard assets, trees and rocks and lumber and oil and, and gold and silver and palladium and uranium, whatever it is, those are the things that, that help you avoid being caught up in that financial doom loop if you can. That's what I wanted to tell you about today. It's really important. Hey, let's see what's going on with the elections because uh, this is going to be coming out right about the time we're going to be getting a lot of our return. So let's tune into that too. We'll talk about that. But thanks so much for listening today. See the rest of you over at Peak Prosperity and uh, we'll carry on with part two. Bye for now.